All right, so um, thanks for uh, coming out tonight on a really uh, sunny evening. You know, it's tempting to go to the beach or something, but glad that you came out anyway because I wanted someone to hear this. So if you could turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at verses 27 to 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 27 to 33. <coughs> uh, let's see here. So, verse 27 to 33. So, if any, of, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice to, unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake. Um, the, earth is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thy own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which, for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So tonight we're just going to focus on verse 31 of this passage, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So I'm just going to pray before I go into it. Lord, um, thank you again, God, that you blessed us and gave us the health and well-being, God, and and good faith to come out here this evening, Lord. I pray that it wouldn't be in vain, Lord, and that you would just give us something to think about tonight, Lord. Something that we can apply to our own lives, Lord, from the from this verse, uh, which is a very important verse, God. Um, please, Lord, um, use your Holy Spirit, God. Help me to be clear and um, get the point across. Help us to have soft hearts, Lord. Help us to... Um, have enough uh, love towards you, Lord, that we would listen to your word and pay attention to it, God, and uh, and obey it, Lord. And I pray that in obeying it, we would grow in our love towards you, Lord, and in our appreciation for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in the context here, Paul is obviously talking about the subject of eating food that was offered to idols. So it's not something that we talk much about today. And uh, it's not something that really, you know, I need to preach about, you know, don't eat food offered to idols or do eat food offered to idols. Because uh, in, the, in the 21st century, people don't uh, sacrifice things to idols, right? They don't sacrifice things to any, anything. Because in the Western world, at least, idols aren't in statue form anymore. They're in, you know, other, other forms, I suppose, like celebrities and convenience and stuff like that. So in context, Paul is talking about eating food that was offered to idols. But back in the first century... It was a huge issue uh, among Christians because they didn't want to eat stuff from unbelievers because they thought, you know, if they have offered these things in, uh, in sacrifice to idols, uh, they were thinking, you know, I'm going to commit idolatry by eating this stuff. I'm going to partake in idol worship. So it was a big deal. But ultimately, Paul says we should not be judged for eating the meat as long as we're giving God thanks for it. First Corinthians 10.30 says, For if I by grace be a partaker... Why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? So, and it's here he gives us the very distinctive commandment, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So we're just going to look at this subject tonight, doing all to the glory of God. So what does it mean to do all to the glory of God? 
So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So doing all to the glory of God means that everything you do, do it with this result in mind, that God would be glorified. So in whatever activity you engage in, do it so that God would be honored by your activity, that God would receive praise for it, that God would be magnified because of it, that he'd be lifted up, exalted, or that his greatness and excellency would be made manifest by your activity. So glory is a word that's not used much in everyday speech these days. You don't use the word glory these days much, at least definitely in the, in the modern English. But it is something that's very much part of everyday human experience. Glory is actually something that's very much part of our experience. For example, we take glory in our appearance. So most of you, before you came out tonight, probably spent some time in front of the mirror, you know, combing your hair, uh, combing your beard, if you have a beard like me, or, uh, you know, just putting on some nice clothes, you know, match, getting a matching shirt and tie, nice dress, whatever. So you take glory in your appearance, you know. Um, so, but why do we take glory in our appearance? It's because we want to look our best. We want our appearance to be as glorious or as praiseworthy as can possibly be. And it's perfectly normal for us to make our appearance as best as can possibly be. That's normal. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11.15 for an example of this. Actually, yeah, that's just the next chapter over. 1 Corinthians 11.15. Um, so it says, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So what does that mean? So if a woman has long hair, it's a glorious thing. It's something praiseworthy. It's something to be cherished. So there's nothing wrong with that. So there's nothing wrong with taking glory in our appearance or caring about the way we look. It's just normal. We also glory in strength and health. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20 for this example in the middle of your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 29. So here's this word appearing again. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. Again, we see it's something to be cherished is, uh, in young men is their, is their strength, is their glory. Um, so we regard these things as glorious or things to be celebrated, in other words. So we also glory in our homes. For example, during the summer months, the grass grows way too fast, and... Uh, in my house, my mother's constantly telling me, you know, I need to cut the grass. You know, I, I see the grass growing and I see like dandelions popping up and it's, you know, I, I'm not really bothered by the way the grass looks. I think it looks fine with the dandelions and like springing up, but she hates it because she takes glory in her house. She takes glory in the appearance of the things around. Um, so the glory of the house and its surrounding is something that people take seriously. Uh, like people want their house and their home and their surroundings to be as praiseworthy as possible, at least most of the time. And at times it's down to the nitty-gritty details, like my mother cares about what the inside of the shower looks like, you know, it has to be scrubbed, and, uh, you know, what colour the Christmas tree lights are, for example, you know. So it's down to the nitty-gritty details. And why do people do this? Do this is because it's normal that we want our homes to be glorious, we want them to be beautiful and honourable. So other examples are, you know, parents glory in their children, and children glory in their parents. Let's turn to Proverbs 17.6. So just a few chapters back. Proverbs 17.6 Children's children are the crown of old men. Grandchildren, in other words. And the glory of children are their fathers. So grandchildren or grand, 
parents glory in their grandchildren, parents glory in their children, and children glory in their fathers and their parents. So there's nothing wrong with that. So some people glory in the car they drive. They have it spotlessly clean, you know. That's not me, but <laughs> other people have their car spotlessly clean, paint works perfect, you know, it has all the accessories. They glory in their car. And a lot of people glory in their sports teams, you know. So what's someone doing when they go to a soccer match and they're waving the flag of their team of, or of their nation and they're putting it uh, on a jersey? You know, what are they doing? They're exalting uh, that team. They're um, promoting that team, promoting the honor of that club or nation. For example, I know I'm talking to like a bunch of people who aren't really sports fans here, but does anybody know what uh, what goes on the team jersey when a, when a country wins the World Cup in soccer? The star, yeah. So why does the star go on? It's to promote the glory and honor of winning the World Cup and putting it on on the shirt so that future generations that wear the shirt will see, you know, this is an honor to wear this shirt because, you know, Brazil or Italy or wherever we won the World Cup so many times. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. So the honor of wearing the shirt. I was thinking Weston, you know, he often wears the Man United hoodie the red one, you know. So, what's Weston? What's Weston doing when he's wearing that? I was hoping he was wearing. He's going to wear it tonight, but it was too hot. So, um, what's he doing when he's wearing that Man United hoodie with the Man United badge? He's basically walking around. He's saying, "Glory, glory, Man United." You know what I mean? He's he's promoting the honor of that team. So, um, <clears throat> so we may not use the word glory much, but it is a vital facet of human experience. You know. Here's another example. People glory in their nation. You know, why did all those uh, Irish rebels fight for the freedom of, of Ireland from England? Uh, you know, Michael Collins, Padraig Pearce and all that, because they gloried in their nation. They wanted the nation to be honoured. And you hear it all in national anthems as well, the glory of, of the nation. For example, in the Irish national anthem, if you translate the first line, it says, soldiers are we whose lives are pledged to Ireland. Uh, you know, so again, it's just ex- exalting the glory of, of the nation. And one of the worst things about the abortion referendum was the shame, you know, many Irish people felt when they saw, like, the world's media broadcasting, um, you know, our people celebrating that the Eighth Amendment was repealed at Dublin Castle, you know, jumping for joy because abortion was brought in. And that brings shame to our nation because we're concerned for the glory, for the image of our nation, for its honour. So we're naturally concerned about making these things our lives, our appearances, our stuff, our families, our nations as admirable and as honourable as we can. So when the Bible then talks about glorifying God, then it's about making God admirable, promoting His excellencies, His splendors, showing forth His honor, His praise in the things we do. So in everything you do, don't just do it, you know, for the glory of the nation, for the glory of your children, for the glory of your life. Uh, the Bible tells us here in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we must not get the idea... Of course, that it's our job to make God appear to be glorious, you know, to make him look glorious as if he's not, kind of like someone covering up their blemishes with makeup or something like that. And, you know, we have to make excuses for God and, you know, uh, come up with all sorts of theories to make God look great, as if he isn't already great. All we have to do is promote what he, uh, he, is, what he is already. Uh, you know, God is already glorious. He's already almighty. He's already infinite in wisdom enduringly righteous, omnipotent, all-holy, and so on. And it's our job just to show these things off to the world, not to make up a false image of God, just to show off who He really is. 
<clears throat> so, but while we don't have to decorate God himself as he is truly, we do have to decorate people's perceptions of God. So there's a difference there. Uh, we actually decorate people's perceptions of God by the way uh, we behave and what we say. I think the Bible says in, in, uh, in another verse, it says um, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So, now you often get a better understanding of a concept when you look at the antithesis of the concept, so what the opposite of it is. So when you look at the opposite of something, you often get a better idea of what the concept is all about. So what's the opposite to showing forth God's greatness and promoting his honor? So the opposite is, of course, to make God appear to be bad. You know, So to give people the, around us the false impression of God by giving them the impression that he's in, in any way weak, unjust, unmerciful, unrighteous, or powerless, or distant to give people this false idea of what God is about, what God is like. And I think one of the reasons why Ireland has sank so low in morality and in righteousness is because the Catholic Church has done an excellent job at warping the image of God and, you know, actually dragging the name of Jesus into the gutter. You know, that's the opposite of giving glory to God. So they've made Jesus look weak and artificial with their effeminate pictures of him. You know, have you ever seen those effeminate pictures of him where he just looks like a woman with a beard? You know, it's, it just makes Jesus look weak and pathetic. So I was reading in the news today, actually, that um, there's a Baptist church over in America, and uh, they're getting rid of, they have a statue of Jesus, and people are complaining in the church that it looks too Catholic. So they gave the artist, like, um, like five days to remove the statue, or else they're going to destroy the statue. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people are kind of up in arms about this in America, because they're saying, oh, this is so disrespectful to Catholics and stuff like that. You know, but it's 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 true. So I, what I did was um, I posted in the comment section underneath the article. I posted like Exodus chapter twenty, the second commandment, where it says, "Thou shalt not make any graven image." So and then I got a lot of abuse, and you know, this is hate speech, blah blah blah. You know, but you know what that does is it glorifies God, even though nobody you know, is accepting it and people are attacking it. it. Actually, glorifies God just to put His word there as well. So they made Jesus look weak and artificial. So they've made God look powerless with their dead religion that never changes anybody's heart. You know, people go into mass, they're like, you know, God doesn't exist. You know, this is pathetic. Uh, and they've made God look unjust by their abuses uh, against women and children. So now when, we, uh, when people hear the words God, Jesus, Bible, sin in Ireland, or the cross, you know, their understanding of all these concepts are so warped that they see all these things as negative when they're entirely positive. And uh, 2 Peter 2.2 2, it says, um, speaking of false prophets back in those days, and it says, many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And we have the same situation in our day, and we probably will till Christ returns, that the way of truth is evil spoken of because of the actions of some people who claim to believe in Jesus. So, <clears throat> so it's our job as Christians to fix this warping of God's image and show forth his true glory. Um, but, of course, did you know that we also can warp people's perceptions of God, too, with our behavior? Uh, you know, if we're not careful, we can actually bring shame on God's name as well. You know, we don't have to be Catholic to do it. Instead of bringing glory to him, you know, like, true, true believers can actually bring shame on God's name. So, how can we do this? Well, primarily by living like the world around us. You know, when we live like the world around us, it makes God look common or profane or powerless. For example... You know, if you walk into work on a Monday morning and you're exactly the same as everybody else around you, complaining, you know, stupid Monday, oh, it's awful, oh, life. 
like, life is a drag, you know, just complaining, getting angry with people. Oh, God, you didn't do that paperwork, what are you doing? You know, and just whatever, like, you know, just acting like everybody else around, around, you know. That doesn't make God look anything special. It, it brings shame upon his name. Or if you're at home with your family, you know, giving out to your wife and kids and stuff like that. I can talk because I don't have any. But, uh, you know, giving out to your kids, being selfish, treating people like trash, you know, that brings shame on God's name as well. So at any time a Christian is being openly lazy, proud, unkind, childish, unbelieving, it denies the power of God. Um, so I remember when I first uh, started coming to this church and first started uh, following Christ, basically, I have an aunt, and she's kind of like, um, she, you know, kind of knows everything, gossips a lot. So uh, I remember, like, every time I'd say, you know, talk about the church or bring up Christians or something, she'd be like, oh, you know, a born-again Christian, yeah, meanest man I've ever seen in my life. You know, like, this guy who had some land dispute with, uh, you know, one of her children or something like that, and, you know, wouldn't give him a bit of land or something like that, that they had, they owned themselves, and there was a big dispute, and they brought him to court, you know. So that was, you know, if if that Christ, if it's true and what that Christian was doing was wrong, then he's bringing a bad testimony on Christ's name. And uh, you know, she had another story. Then it's like, um, maybe this was someone else. Oh yeah, you were born again Christian. Um, you know, and he he joined the navy and he got kicked out of the navy for preaching to everyone. You know, and I was thinking, yeah, that's actually a good thing. You know, even though she, she actually saw it as bad, I was like, yeah, that's a good testimony. Yeah. And uh, you know, another uh, cousin of mine, I remember telling her that I was a Baptist. And she was like, you know, yeah, I've, I, I've a Baptist pastor living in my estate, you know, and he's, he's such a bad neighbor and whatever, you know. Now, I wouldn't actually believe that, you know, what she's saying is true, you know. Maybe he is a bad neighbor, or, but maybe she's just being a rebel, I don't know. But it, it's just a good example that Christians can bring a bad testimony on Christ's name, and they can bring shame on the name of God, which is the opposite of what the Bible is telling us to do here, which is to bring glory to him. So we ought not to give the enemies of God any opportunity to blaspheme or speak evil of the name of God. So does anybody know someone who actually did give the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme in the Old Testament? Anybody know who I'm talking about? David, yes. Specifically David, yes. Second, if you want to turn to Second Samuel, I suppose, um, chapter 12. So this is David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And one of the worst things about that whole affair was that he actually gave the enemies of God opportunity to attack God and to, um, to accuse God, I suppose. 2 Samuel 12, 14. Uh, and this is Nathan's rebuke. He says, Howbeit by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So, you know, even more powerful is that the reason his child died and the reason that God poured out this, uh, this judgment is because he gave occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. He gave occasion, to, he made God look bad basically by what he'd done because everybody knew, the nations around him knew that David was a man of God and when he did this evil deed, you know, that brought shame on God's name. So that's bringing shame on God's name. We're often very good at that. But the Bible tells us to focus on the opposite now, bringing glory upon God's name. <clears throat> and notice the beginning of the verse here in 1 Corinthians 10.31, if you want to turn back there, maybe. 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, um, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So whether therefore ye eat or drink. So this is not just talking about preaching the Bible to the glory of God, or going soul winning to the glory of God, or uh, you know praying to the glory of God, or what we call religious activities. This is eating and drinking, and whatever else we do to the glory of God. So, um, so we can even glorify God in the so-called menial, everyday ta- uh, tasks or things we do. So we can eat to the glory of God, we can drink to the glory of God, we can drive to the glory of God, you know, instead of cutting people off, you know, and, you know, uh, lifting up signs to them and, you know, shouting at them wherever out, out the, the back window, uh, you know, and they'll see the, the Christian fish on your, on your boot there and they'll be like, look at that Christian, you know what I mean? So instead of uh, driving, driving to the shame of God, we can drive to the glory of God. We can work to the glory of God. We can rest to the glory of God, which I enjoy particularly. Uh, we can brush our teeth to the glory of God. You know, you can make your, your breath smell good so that when you give the gospel out, people get a fresh fragrance from your mouth. Um, we can shower to the glory of God, you know, so that people, you know, know you smell good and they'll trust you as a Christian. And we can even play sports to the glory of God. So it all depends on our motivation and purpose in doing these things. So they may seem kind of like uh, not important, but they are important if we do it to the glory of God. So I'm just reading a commentary on this verse. It says this, These words embrace all light. The definite acts of eating and drinking are mentioned expressly as they are the subject immediately under consideration. They are, however, to be regulated by the same principle which guides all true life. The modern idea of some acts being religious and some secular is neither here nor elsewhere recognized by St. Paul. No act of life is in itself either religious or secular. The quality of each act depends on the spirit which guides it and the motive from which it springs. The commonest thing may be done in a high Christian spirit. The greatest deed may spring from a low and selfish motive. A religious act done in a secular spirit is secular. A secular thing done in a religious spirit is religious. This is the first great principle of Christian life. So, you know, everything you, you, you do, you can do it in, a, in the right spirit, to the glory of God. So, so that's what it means to do all to the glory of God. So the promotion of God's glory ought to be our ultimate goal, objective, aim, end, purpose. The promotion of God's glory ought also to be our ultimate motivation, uh, drive, incentive. You know, before doing anything, ask yourself, am I doing this for the glory of God or for some lesser motive? Uh, the promotion of God's glory ought to be our ultimate focus, attention, and emphasis as Christians. I'm just going to quote this verse from Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So, that's point one. What does it mean to give all to the, do all to the glory of God? Point two, <clears throat> why do all to the glory of God? So, just to briefly explore, why must we do everything to the glory of God? So firstly, it's because God deserves all the glory. He is worthy. So we need to realize that we can't even do the smallest things in life without God's power and providence. So you can't even breathe or blink or sit up straight without God giving you that ability. And you wouldn't have the wherewithal to frame one word with your tongue or even lift you know, one finger to scratch your nose without the power of God. Um, much less eat or drink or work or uh, make a living, much less even achieve something in your life, and much less have any spiritual success without the power and rich supply of God. 
So God deserves all glory and praise for everything we do. Um, and that's why we must do all to the glory of God, uh, which is rightly his. So, <clears throat> so why else should we do everything to the glory of God? Secondly, because the whole purpose of creation and our own existence is the glory of God. It's the whole purpose of creation. All of creation is here for one chief purpose, and that's to glorify God. So let's turn to uh, Psalm 19, which is a fairly well-known verse. Psalm chapter 19. All of creation is here for one chief purpose, and that's to glorify God. Psalm 19, verse 1, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That is their main purpose and end uh, for their existence. Um, The whole purpose of Christ saving us is the glory of God. Um, Romans 15, 7 says, Wherefore receive you one one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Again, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace that he saved us. Um, you know, and the purpose of God in changing lives, in changing uh, someone that's you know, down in the dumps, uh, you know, dead in sin, and changing them to become a new creature in Christ, That's all for the promotion of his glory. That's the purpose behind it. Let's turn to Isaiah 61, another pretty well-known verse. Let's look at it from this angle. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. And this is talking about Jesus' commission and what he was sent to do, basically. Isaiah 61, it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the, joy of, the, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So there's that purpose again, that he might be glorified. That's why he plants these trees of righteousness, uh, which is us. So... Let's see here. God's chief purpose in answering prayers is, guess what? His own glory. Um, Psalm 50, I'll just read this. Psalm 50, 14 and 15. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Um, another similar uh, verse is in John 11. I think this is referring to um, uh, Lazarus the sickness of Lazarus and his death, basically, Jesus says, the sickness is not unto death, it's not just for Lazarus dying, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So again, it's for the glory of God that Jesus would do this great miracle. And of course, the glory of God was actually the chief purpose of Jesus' coming and ascension. Let's go look, look at um, Philippians chapter 2. So we can see the glory of God in all these purposes, in all of creation. And even in the creation of man. And specifically here it's talking about Christ's coming and ascension. Philippians chapter 2, 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Uh, <clears throat> Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Again, it's for God's glory that Christ came and ascended and is now given his name above every name, to the glory of God the Father. So why else should we do everything to the glory of God? So it's because uh, every, every purpose in creation is, is to the glory of God. And number three, because the glory of God is the only fulfilling purpose in life. Uh, you know, I think happiness and satisfaction arises from fulfilling our purpose as human beings and as Christians. And our purpose is to glorify God. Uh, you know, and nothing else will be found to be com- comparably fulfilling, I think, for a born-again believer than when we use our life to glorify, exalt, and honor and magnify God. So that's where true meaning and accomplishment is, is found. So that's number three, because the glory of God is the only fulfilling purpose in life. So a point, my final point is how we can do all to the glory of God. So, um, so we've seen what it means to glorify God and why we should glorify God. So now let's briefly take a look at how we can do all to glorify God. So obviously this is never going to be exhaustive, you know, all the ways that we can glorify God. Because to be honest, I'm actually a novice on the subject. <clears throat> I only started studying it, you know, like for the last couple of weeks because I thought, you know, this is something that I really want to look into. So, you know, I'm a novice. Maybe I always will be. But here's some Bible ways that we can glorify our Savior. So firstly, how we can do all to the glory of God. Number one, do all things heartily. Do all things heartily. Let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 3. So it's the next book after Philippians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, this and whatsoever ye do do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ so do all things heartedly or heartily sorry so what does that mean it means do all things wholeheartedly zealously fervently passionately you know whether it's doing a task for your boss uh, you know whether it's doing an essay for college you know, whether it's um, watching television, actually, no, watching television. Like, you can't really watch television passionately. Like, you know, you're just like sitting there. You can't really put passion into that, you know what I mean? Um, so whether it's writing a book, you know, do it heartily. Whether it's playing a game of chess, do it heartily. You know, me and Marcus had a really intense game of chess. lasted for about an hour and a half the other night. And I won by the skin of my teeth. Because he's been, like, practicing for the last few months, but he still couldn't beat me, you know. But it was a hearty game of chess. Um, so do everything heartily. Maybe it's tidying up. Like last night I was looking at my bedroom and I was thinking, man, I need to tidy this place up for the glory of God. You know? um, do it fervently, passionately. You know, Whether it's making a meal, drawing a picture, uh, making a UCAM promo, which Nathaniel's working on now, if he could find some actors. Um, playing an instrument, chopping down a tree, singing a song, starting a business. Do it heartily as to the Lord. You know, what could glorify God more than utilizing the talents and abilities that he's given us to their full potential? You know, what glorifies God more than just working out what he has given us and the gifts he's given us? Um, 
You know, we often uh, glorify God when we see nature out there showing off its full power. You know, like say if it's a really cool thunderstorm, like last Saturday night, or a volcano, or, or, or uh, you know, when we see beautiful valleys, or flowers, or mountains, or a beautiful cliff face, you know, basically the extremes of nature showing off its full potential. Or maybe when we see uh, an eagle in flight, or a peacock showing off its feathers, right? We, we glorify God for these things when nature shows us its full uh, splendor. So we, as God's chiefest creation, uh, ought to have our qualities and potential in full display too, that God would be magnified. Um, <clears throat> and the other important thing here is do everything heartily for Christ, not for the person in front of you, of course. Because let's face it, you know, when you do stuff for the person in front of you, when you do things for other people, uh, you know, they won't always appreciate it. Like, your boss won't say, well done, you know, uh, take a half day today because you've done such a good job, you know. He's probably not going to say that, you know. And your customers won't pay you double for doing a great job, you know. I think that Eric, you still clean the windows, yeah? Yeah, so they won't be like, oh, you did a great job, I'm going to give you double pay, you know. Usually, you know. So. Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, not always, huh? So, um, so doing things for people gets old. So that's why doing things for the glory of God needs to be our ultimate motivation, drive, incentive. As long as he gets the praise and honor in the end, it'll be worth it. Uh, and this translates, translates to spiritual things too, this principle of doing things heartily. Look, look at First um, Peter chapter 4. Over to the right. First uh, <clears throat> Peter chapter four and verse eleven. It says, um, "If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion for ever and ever." Again, do things according to the spiritual abilities that he's given you, that God would receive all the glory. Do it to its full potential. So when we're dealing with religious activities, uh, the motivation and aim is exactly the same. Do everything to the full potential that God has given us, that he may be glorified in all things. Uh, and oftentimes, other motivations and aims get in the way when we're doing God's work. You know, I think we're all aware of this. You know, Sometimes his glory isn't always our chief end. So sometimes... Our chief aim in doing God's work is results. So, and we end up being discouraged because when we're doing everything right and then people don't believe the gospel and we're doing everything right and then the people we're trying to help you know, keep on running away or leaving, abandoning us or whatever, you know, we can get discouraged because we've made results our chief end rather than the glory of God. So, of course, results should be our purpose, but not our chief purpose. But if we keep the glory of God in view as our chief purpose, then again, it's always going to be worth it when we do the right thing. Um, so I think you're in First Peter four, uh, First Peter already. So let's look at First Peter four fourteen. <coughs> you know, because did you know that God is glorified when we do the right thing, even when we don't get the results that we're looking for? You know, God is still glorified. Look at First Peter four fourteen. It says. Um, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, 
but on your part, he is glorified. So even when nobody listens to you and you're being mocked for the name of Christ, you're still saying the right thing. You're still speaking the word of God. You're still glorifying God and the ultimate purpose is still being met. Um, So, number one, do all things heartily. Uh, And how else can we glorify God? Number two, by letting your light shine. Let Let your light shine. So let's go to Matthew 5 verse that you're all familiar with again Matthew 5 verse 16 let your light shine so how can we glorify God number one do all things heartily number two let your light shine <clears throat> Matthew five sixteen. let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven so I remember when I first started working uh, in my current job, Arnold Industries, and I met my boss, I was in, my, uh, in the canteen with my boss one day, and for some reason homosexuality came up, and I told him, you know, homosexuality, according to the Bible, is an abomination, you know, <clears throat> and it's totally wrong, and he was like, Bar, you need to keep those views to yourself, you need to, you need to keep those views close to your chest, you know, you don't want to be saying that out loud, you know, but that, that's obviously the wrong instruction, because if we keep our views close to our chest, then we don't uh, let our lights so shine and we're not glorifying our Father which is in heaven. Um, you know, the world would love us to, you know, go into a corner, you know, religion is just for the home. Don't bring your religion outside the doors of your house, you know. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, let your lights so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God's not going to get any glory out in the world unless we bring our faith out there to them. So, let your lights so shine. Um, <clears throat> So we've already looked at one, one chief aim that gets us off balance, you know, doing things just for others' pleasure or doing things just for results. But a much more evil and idolatrous motivation that taints God's work is doing all things to the glory of ourselves. And sometimes this can get in the way. You know, when we do works for God, sometimes we're actually doing it for ourselves and we think it's doing for, we're doing it for God. Like I remember when I was, um, a few years ago, I was uh, witnessing to these kids in the, in, in the Peace Park in town, Bishop Lucy Park, as it's called, actually. And, uh, you know, it was getting really frustrating because I was giving them all this good evidence or something like that, you know, or at least I thought it was from the Bible. And they were just like, God doesn't exist. You're, 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 you know, this, it's not true, you know. You know, the Bible's nonsense. And I was just, like, getting really frustrated because, uh, you know, I was, I was insulted that they were, they were basically insulting my intelligence, you know, because I was thinking, well, I've come to these conclusions, you know, based on my reasoning, and they're basically saying I'm, I'm wrong, so... You know, I was getting insulted myself. So I was like, do you, do you think I'm an idiot or something? Do you, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, that, that I can't reason for myself? You know, do you think I'd really believe this stuff that wasn't true? You know? So ultimately, the reason I was getting frustrated is because I wasn't witnessing and preaching for God's glory. I was witnessing and preaching and arguing for my own glory, basically. And we often f- fall into that stuff. Another time, when I was just a new Christian um, and I was in college and I met some Muslims and I was debating these Muslims for you know an hour or so one night in UCC and um, <clears throat> they were like the Quran has only one version you know the Bible has hundreds of versions it could not be the word of God and I was like oh, man. I just did not have an answer for them I was like no no yeah, the Bible has yeah but there's barely any differences between them and they were like no 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 the Bible has loads of versions the Quran has only one version so uh, you know, and I, I, I couldn't find an answer. Like, I was just like so frustrated. I could like barely sleep that night because I just couldn't. Because I basically lost the debate. You know, and again, it's because 
The reason I was so distressed is because I wasn't doing it for God's glory. I was doing it for my own praise, my own glory. And it's hard to do spiritual things like, you know, when I get up here preaching uh, tonight, you know, it's really hard to think or to not think, you know, what will they think of me? You know, I hope they think that this message is going to be really intelligent and I hope that, uh, you know, they won't, uh, you know, that I won't mess up and look like a fool, you know. Like, we often have all these things to our heart, you know, because we have our focus wrong. We're looking for the wrong aims, you know, and our aim should be to glorify God, not ourselves. So, so that's another... Um, idolatrous motivation that taints God's work. So look, look at the, um, the change here in Matthew 5.16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but glorify not you, but your Father which is in heaven. So your good works are just there, not to glorify you, but your Father which is in heaven. So the objective in letting your light shine and doing good works is not that people may glorify us. You know, our intelligence our wisdom, our knowledge, our courage, our kindness, um, but so that people glorify our Father only. He's the one that deserves the glory. So we don't deserve any of the glory, because it's all from Him. So, <clears throat> and I think a lot, an awful lot of you know, spiritual men of God have fallen, because you know, it all became about their ministry, and you know, their lecture series, or their books, or their pet doctrines, or all the bells and whistles that you know God goes on in their church, and it's not about God's glory. So it's not about us and our stuff. It's about Him. So um, you know, I had someone yesterday tell me I'm an amazing human being. You know, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> and I had to do my best to tell her, look, I'm not an amazing human being, and try and deflect that praise back to God. You know, she obviously doesn't know me very well. So um, Sam, let's look at Sam 115. middle of the Bible, Psalm 115 <clears throat> and verse 1. Now here's a good Bible verse when it comes to the crunch. When there's, there's a conflict between our glory, our praise, our honour and God's honour and God's reputation. It says, not unto us, O Lord. This is a prayer that we should all pray. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. So not unto us, but unto God's name give glory. So, so how can we glorify God? Number one, do all things heartily. Number two, let your light so shine. And lastly, be strong in faith. Uh, be strong in faith. So let's go to Romans chapter 4. This will be the last scripture. Romans chapter 4. And this is talking about Abraham, which is an interesting verse, an interesting uh, angle on the whole glory of God. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So there's that phrase again. Strong in faith, giving glory to God. So this is what Matthew Henry comments on this verse. He says, The strength of his faith, Abraham's faith, appeared in the victory it won over his fears. And hereby he gave glory to God. For as unbelief dishonors God by making him a liar, so faith honors God by setting to its seal that he is true. Abraham's faith gave God the glory of his wisdom,
power, holiness, goodness, and especially of his faithfulness, resting upon the word that he had spoken. Among men we say, he that trusts another gives him credit and honors him by taking his word. So strong faith gives glory to God, finally. And when you think about it, it makes sense. You know how much of a dishonoring thing it is. For when you, uh, when you tell something, uh, to so- someone something, and they think you're lying, or they think you're mistaken, it's a dishonor against us. And how much more when we think God is lying, and we don't take his word seriously. It's dishonoring to God. So the opposite is when we trust his word, just like Abraham did here, uh, and live according to that trust in the midst of an unbelieving generation, you know, that's going to bring immense glory and honor to God when we believe him. So just strong faith itself honors God and lifts him up. It glorifies him. So in conclusion, <clears throat> whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So just by way of review, what does it mean to do all to the glory of God? So doing all to the glory of God means that everything you do, do it with this result in mind, that God will be glorified. And whatever activity you engage in, do it so that God will be honored by your activity, that God would receive praise for it, that God will be magnified because of it, or that his greatness and excellency will be made manifest by that activity. So why do all to the glory of God? Firstly, because God deserves all the glory. He's worthy of all the glory. Secondly, because the whole purpose of creation is the glory of God, including the creation of man, including the, creation, the new creature in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose is the glory of God and the praise of God, the honor of God. And three, because the glory of God is the only fulfilling purpose in life. We'll never be satisfied as born-again believers unless we're living our lives to the glory of uh, the Almighty God. So, and thirdly, how can we do all to the glory of God? Number one, do all things heartily, whether it's playing a game of chess, you know, going soul winning, brushing your teeth, um, uh, starting a business, uh, praying, uh, preaching the word of God. Do all things heartily. Uh, two, let your light shine. You know, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed of God's word and let it shine before the world out there. And number three, be strong in faith, just as Abraham was, giving glory to God. So whatever you get up to in life, you know, whatever you do from sun up to sundown, um, whatever you, activity you engage in, so let's remember to do it for God's glory. So I'm just going to pray and finish off. <clears throat> Lord, um, I thank you for your word, God. I praise you for just what I've learned myself, God, and what we can learn about doing all things to your glory today. Um, as human beings, God, as we are just but dust, Lord, we often fail in this endeavor to do all things to your glory. Please teach us this principle further, Lord, um, as we grow and learn in our Christian life. Help us to implement it into our lives, Lord, that ultimately you would receive the praise, God, and that your greatness and excellence will be seen in our lives, Lord, and by others around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.